0: This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Noel Oakes, And I'm Connor Oakes. I'm not going to say, Connor, oh? that what we're about to talk about is, is more important than the Ukrainian war. No. Uh, but, you know, we've got to
1: take our minds off of the Ukraine war, right? Absolutely. And, you know, while we'll, I'm sure, touch on the shocking developments in, in that uh, foreign policy issue uh, here, we are uh, a couple of California-based lawyers who mostly do insurance law stuff, so we're hardly the the best people to speak on it, but we've certainly got like, a few
0: opinions. Yeah, but, it, you know, it doesn't stop uh, anybody around the planet You're from right. talking about it. I Hot mean, takes. I watching, Hot takes. I was watching Bill Maher the other night uh, interview a congressman. I had not heard of this guy, but he sounds like he has got an amazing future mm. he is a, a democrat from uh, arizona mm-hmm. in the house of representatives mm. and um, he and bill maher were just gabbing back and forth about ukraine and other issues sure. and uh it just struck me that you know neither one of them maybe the congressman has some background but i doubt that he's a henry kissinger type. Right. Uh, they're just going on Good. and on. Everybody is is totally willing to offer their opinions hot takes. about war.
1: It's the age of hot takes, yeah, baby. We live in a social media driven Facebook status Twitter post world. We got to have a hot take. If you don't have a hot take, you're cold meet, you know, on the side of the road, your roadkill, unless your hot take uh, really gets people inflamed and they click that like button. And we've got three legal topics uh, that we're going to give our hot takes about
0: today. Number one, uh, Judge Jackson's Supreme Court confirmation. Will it be smooth sailing? Topic two, what do Ukraine, speaking of the war, what do Ukraine and COVID have in common? Ooh. And finally, are you ready for another Supreme Court gay marriage case? Oh, boy. Uh, Or at least uh, it doesn't necessarily have to do with gay marriage, but it does have to do with a retail shop owner's right to say no to a gay couple. Uh, We've had a lot of those cases in front of SCOTUS in recent years, and we're going to have one more. And finally, at the end of the episode, as always, we'll have the game show, uh, Guess the Verdict. Connor will try to guess who wins the case. Of the Dangerous Cup of Coffee. Are you psyched up for this? Very. All right. I love coffee. So let drinking it right now. Before we get to uh, Judge Jackson's SCOTUS confirmation, I did want to uh, briefly chat about... Uh, a story it's a New York Times magazine, the cover story today. Yeah. Um, Clarence Thomas's wife is quite a political force. Oh yeah. And Jenny is her name, and she is just as conservative, if not more so, than Clarence Thomas. Yeah. And the whole point of the New York Times article was that this is a bad thing. She is just so blatantly partisan. And so the question really that uh, arises is, is there a problem with a spouse of a Supreme Court justice? being really really political. Uh, I mean we've talked uh, Connor on a lot of these episodes about how in my opinion uh, judges are just politicians politicians without charisma. Okay. I, they're yeah. appointed by politicians. They reflect the will of the people who appoint them. Yeah. Uh, so people have asked about whether Ginny Thomas is crossing ethical lines with her, what's been called her partisan activities, uh, fundraising on issues that come before the U.S. Supreme Court. On the one hand, I mean, she's got constitutional rights as a private citizen to do her politicking. Uh, but to the extent that she gets into issues that are so intertwined with the court's activities. So some people are really concerned about that. Uh, for example, she chairs a group, Groundswell, uh, that includes a Trump acolyte Steve Bannon. And so she, she's right in the middle of it. Um, From your perspective, are you troubled by the idea that she is such an activist and at the same time he's not only a justice of the Supreme Court at this point, it's almost like he is the key to the Supreme Court because the rule is who whenever you have a majority vote and there are five or six conservatives, Mm -hmm. um, then the chief justice, if he is with the winning side, he picks the person who writes the opinion. If the chief is not in uh, on the winning side then the senior justice who is on the winning side as they're right. about to vote he picks the uh, the person who will write the opinion and so right. clarence
1: thomas is the senior guy in the conservative block to the extent that john roberts is on the other side if john roberts goes with the liberals but the conservatives win anyway which will happen because they have a supermajority, right um they at 6-3 supermajority, they uh, are going to have a lot of uh Clarence Thomas opinions or opinions written by people that Clarence Thomas hand handpicked to
0: write. So I guess I'm, I'm interested in your take first, just yeah. generically, is it okay that she's such an activist? Yeah. And if people have a problem with it, is it a fair question to say, well, if Sotomayor's husband was right. a Black Lives Matter, a Green New Deal activist, right.
1: would anybody care what right. the New York Times be writing it, cover stories? So it, it's a really, it, it's a really tough issue. Um, that doesn't have uh, an easy answer where we look at uh, a law and we say, oh, well, there's a law about recusing yourself where you have an interest and therefore we kick people out of situations yeah. where there they is, might be swayed. There
0: is a law if it's a quid pro quo, right. if some lobbyist for, for big oil, Ugh. you know, gives a $1,000 to Jenny and of course. says, hey, you know, yeah, Clarence exactly. is going to come throw on the big vote. Exactly. But Presumably, I mean, the New York Times pretty much
1: admitted they didn't uncover anything as blatant as that. So we'll say it's not about that as much as it's about norms. It's about the appearance. It's about breakfast restaurant. Delicious, yes. Love their waffles. (laughs) It's about optics, like how do people regard the Supreme Court? And if you care about the optics of the Supreme Court, if you care about the public believing in sort of the sanctity of the court or the importance of the court as a neutral arbiter or something else, then this sort of thing can undermine it. Let's talk briefly, as the L.A. Times, who also wrote about this, said they mentioned that the spouses of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and John Roberts Jr., both quit practicing law when their spouse joined the Supreme Court specifically to avoid any potential conflicts. And that's just isn't that because the, the spouse is making the big bucks? Oh, yeah. bringing them the bacon. Absolutely. But they said we're doing this to avoid and we've got to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're not just like to become a house spouse. That, that <laughs> they you know are really doing this because um, they are... Uh, a, try, a, a trying to avoid the appearance of uh, any impro- impropriety right. specifically uh, jane roberts john roberts spouse resigned from leading an anti-abortion group she said i'm stepping back from this specifically for that reason the the that's the norms issue and we can say you know we might want to sort of continue that tradition, just to uh, establish this norm, maintain this norm, because it makes people regard the court more as a neutral arbiter. As, and, and maybe somebody thinks that has value. Spoiler: Connor doesn't think that that has particular value, because right. I think a lot of people see through the notion that the court is a neutral arbiter. Are and- you saying, by the way, that the Supreme Court holiday party could be a little frosty,
0: <laughs> with Ginny and Jane? You Jenny know, and Jane get into a hair point. Well, no, Ginny
1: and Jane. Jane was on an anti. Abortion group.
0: Yeah. So the point is, but the
1: point is Jane backed out. Oh, Jimmy yes. Didn't yes back absolutely. Out. Absolutely. Yeah. This she could be saying you made me this is just like Jimmy Carter. They made Jimmy Carter sell his peanut farm. Well, Trump has, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Carter's family had like a one acre peanut farm or something hilariously tiny, meaningless. And they made him sell it when he became president just to, so that he couldn't, you know, uh, veto a law that that was going to uh, benefit pistachio uh, maker right. uh, uh, farmers or whatever. So and compare that to Trump, right? Uh, a guy who owns billions of dollars in businesses uh, in one form or another all over the country and all over the world, and he's you know uh, vetoing and crafting policy and making executive orders that can benefit his own uh, companies and his own families and all that. And it's horrifically you know fraught with uh, with conflicts of interest, which of course he used to make himself millions, probably billions of dollars uh, while he was president, and would love to keep doing that, um, and also just like be the most powerful man in the world. So that's that's this notion of norms. Do we care about that? That's item one. Issue one. And then you got to another issue about the sort of quid pro quo. Uh, you know, idea about, well, the New York Times didn't specifically say, oh, we've got a smoking gun where Jenny Thomas, uh, you know, got written a check and she used that to influence Clarence Thomas or whatever. Uh, and she went to Clarence and said, hey, you know, these people are donating to the, the important causes that I support and therefore you should rule in their favor. In front, of We don't have that, that sort of evidence. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that this situation where Jenny is an activist, where she is a, a political force can lead to it. Maybe it's inevitable that it might lead to it or it just might create the, the uh, uh, impression That it might. I mean, that's why Jane Roberts probably resigned from this leading and this leading this anti-abortion group Mm -hmm. because she wanted to avoid that appearance of impropriety. On the other hand, uh, Jenny Thomas has been a very prominent conservative activist through Clarence Thomas's entire 30 year tenure and from before. She was uh, a senior aide to House Majority Leader Dick Armey, uh, and then she was huge in the Tea Party movement, where she formed a short-lived group like a, a pack, a super PAC, right. in 2010, uh, where she accepted more than half a million dollars from two unidentified donors, and then she was a big pro-Trumper, uh, MAGA type um, in the in late 2000. Uh, Jenny Thomas was at the Heritage Foundation, and she was her part of her job at the Heritage Foundation was. Uh, uh, vetting job seekers for the W. Bush administration, while her husband was, uh, all, you know, deciding the Bush v. Gore presidential election recount uh, issue. So she is sort of uh, one of the gateways into the Bush administration um, to, for conservatives to move through the Heritage Foundation and then move into the administration. Right. She was a gatekeeper uh, at the same time that her husband is deciding who that president might be. So, I mean. Jenny Thomas has this massively powerful job deciding as being part of the decision process of who ends up in the executive branch, and her husband is on the other uh you know, end of the couch reading the newspaper, chatting <laughs> about about you know who's gonna be the next president. I mean, if if Clarence Thomas decides that Gore wins the election, then Jenny's out of a job, right? Like she's mm-hmm. her whole massive position of power, right? So that is the inherent conflict of interest issue that people are talking about. And these articles in the, the LA Times and the big one, the New York Times, uh, were, and also the New Yorker uh, piece, January 21, there was a big New Yorker piece about this, um, that Jenny Thomas has this, as they put it, web of far right connections and overlap with the court's business. And that's a real uh, issue, not simply for this notion of like norms of uh, of who, you know, people's spouses should should step back and become more neutral as their uh, as their uh, spouses become people on the court who are would also they themselves have to step back and become neutral. Um, the. Uh, absent the just broad norms issue, you've got the very real appearance of a conflict of interest or reality of the conflict of interest uh, issue. And so, yeah, I, I think that people would care. If, uh, to bring it back to your original question, if Sotomayor's spouse uh, or, uh, or David Souter's spouse uh, or uh, Breyer's spouse or whoever was involved in pro liberal activism, generally I would say that liberals are sort of falling all over themselves to cancel Al Franken types uh, and because they want to appear virtuous and they want to really, oh, oh say, oh, we'll cancel our own, I promise, uh, a- a- as long as you also cancel yours. And then the promise, of course, is uh, not upheld because it was never accepted.
0: So when I was a kid, uh, there were billboards along the highway oh, yeah? that said, impeach Earl Warren, put up by the J- oh, John yeah. Birch Society. Of yeah. course, the John Birch Society, everybody's thinking, favorite
1: super white nationalist I'm thinking racister. we're going
0: we're gonna to see some billboards, Connor, that say, impeach Ginny Thomas.
1: Impeach Ginny Thomas actually would be a very funny yeah. t-shirt. I would oh, wear a that t-shirt. If it, yeah. yeah. If it didn't
0: cost so much money, I'd i Make some t-shirts, yeah. absolutely.
1: When we come well, back, well, before we go, I, I yeah, want to yeah, hear yeah. your opinion on this too. What do you think about the Jenny Thomas situation? Do you think that it's the same issue? Do you think the quid pro quo is the important part, the uh, norms part? I know we're we're eating into the the, the, the ad time here, but but I want to hear.
0: Oh, I, I think that the uh, quid pro quo deal. Obviously, you have to avoid a situation where there you know backroom deals and, and yeah. pressure and so on. But I think at the end of the day, because. Justices of the U.S. Supreme Court are so inherently political. It's not a surprise that their spouses are really political. And constitutional rights of association and free speech and involvement, yeah, you, you... you want to avoid the appearance of impropriety. But on the other hand, it's just so such a powerful right to be able to get in there and mix it up. And just because, you know, my husband happens to be on the Supreme Court, it, it is not going to hamstring me and prevent me from doing my utmost to,
1: you know, yeah. accomplish whatever I can with whatever groups or people so I you want to, got to police with. those people on an individual basis to make sure there is not impropriety that make sure there's no quid pro quo. Right. But the, a blanket rule against it would, uh, you know, impair. These yeah. people. I think you're right. And to the extent that 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 the notion uh, of, of, you know, Jane Roberts stepping back from an anti-abortion group uh, puts uh, sort of cast a, 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 the, the, the gla- a reflective light of, of, of neutrality on her husband, I think that's a, ne- a negative. I think the idea that we step back and we go, oh, these people are perfect, there's, there's, they're above politics, that is silly. And I think the more that we can dispel that and realize that they're politicians in the same way that you're describing, in the same way that the president is and a senator is, the more we can recognize and be real about this. Not cynical, but real about how they're voting, the way that their political views right. uh, point them to. And you know, it's it's maybe the analogy is a little strained,
0: but I'll I'll offer it because I I think it helps a little. Um, if you're in Congress, I and am. Okay, congratulations. Thank you. Why wasn't I informed? I <laughs> uh, did any of? My, I'm going to have to step back from did the Did any of my money go into the campaign? <laughs> so uh, you're in Congress, and. Uh, the oil folks come up and say, hey, Connor, here's $10,000. It's a brand new car. the utilities, uh, yeah. Yeah, gigantic. And then what do you know, in the next term, you cast a bunch of votes yeah. that uh, make them really happy. Yeah, That happens all the time. All the time. And the it's only legal. way politicians get into trouble is if there's some sort of evidence, yeah. paper trail, you know, yeah. whistleblower witness or whatever, errant email, yeah. that shows that the reason he voted for the oil industry was, was. because of the contribution and that rarely happens but yeah. it happens all the time yeah. that they vote on issues of great interest to people who gave them scads of money yeah and so they can get away with it and maybe we should apply the same standard to supreme court justices unless there's a smoking gun piece of evidence that clarence is voting a certain way because Ginny pressured him and told him about oh you know i'm involved in uh, we love maga you know, I think it's really hard to, to go after him. So we are going to get to the the big legal story of the week, uh, the nomination of Judge Jackson. She's on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, and uh, Biden uh, put her up a couple of days ago, and we're going to talk about that. But first, Connor is going to tell
1: you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on whatever podcast platform you like to frequent, usually Apple Podcasts numerically. But any other uh, of them will work as well. However you're getting this now, uh, just keep doing it. And keep doing it by hitting the join, subscribe, like, uh, whatever the button says on your platform to make sure that you get pushed to the episode every week. We really appreciate it. it. helps our numbers out, makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Uh, it's financing, you know, my Bentley, obviously <laughs> making the big bucks here. But I like, you know, I like seeing a, a comment if you leave it uh, saying, you know, Connor, you're right about everything. Uh, Royal, uh, you suck. Uh, Whatever, Uh, you know, maybe a little more nuanced than that. But, you know, those are good, too. I saw a Bentley on the freeway ones. Wow. We'll be right back. This is Too
0: Many Lawyers. I'm Royal. Yeah, Law and I'm Conrad. So, Judge Jackson on the uh, District of Columbia Circuit Court of Appeals, just one rung below the U.S. Supreme Court, has been nominated last Friday by Joe Biden to uh, be on the United States Supreme Court to replace uh, Justice Breyer, who's uh, out of there as of, I guess, the, uh, the end of this term. So, that'd be a June 30 or so. Mm-hmm. Before we get to the substantive issues, I, yeah. I, I guess I've just got a, a, a weird political angle question mm-hmm. about this. Uh, Biden, um, announced the nomination, had a little ceremony and so on, uh, on, I think it was about two o'clock in the afternoon, East coast time on Friday, two days ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, we all know from hearing about, about it on the news, if you want to bury a story, do it on Friday because right. nobody reads the papers on Saturday. Yeah, you, if something is you embarrassed about or whatever, is right. the document dump and so on. So that's question one. Why would he do it mm. on that day? Question mm-hmm. two: Why would he do it when the bombs are falling? The, <laughs> the, the Ukraine war is just breaking yeah, yeah, yeah. out. Yeah, there's no way Biden didn't want the whole world to know he's nominating the first black female member of the Supreme yeah. Court. Yeah, for sure, it's historic. Yeah. There's there's no rush because this guy, Breyer, is around until June 30, and I think sure, she will sure. take over on October 1. Okay. So why would he rush it out on a Friday? Yeah. I mean, I don't think he and his yeah, advisors weird. are tone deaf. No, no, Isn't no. Isn't that
1: weird do you? Honestly, know? I think it's probably calculated specifically to create as small a splash as possible because of the nature of the just Supreme Court justice and nomination process. The more mud that the opposition, the Republicans, can throw up. To you know, uh, stir up trouble to to cause a you know a, a public outcry. The more crap that they can floor throw around, and the more public uh, you know opinion they can get going against a nominee, the more powerful. If nobody knew about the Supreme Court justice and it just wasn't reported or whatever, the Republicans wouldn't have a much. Uh, to work with when they uh, uh, fight against uh, somebody's nomination, you know, they might like Katanji uh, Brown Jackson. They might not. They might think that she, uh, you know, is a, is too liberal for them, and so uh, the Republicans would like somebody more conservative. Uh, you know, I don't know, like a Merrick Garland type. You know, a real middle of the road type guy. Um, they they might you know want somebody different, and so they might want to, uh, to to find ways to prove that she's too political and too left or something like that. So. To the extent that they can stir up that story and get the public behind them, they might be able to pressure uh, Biden to yank her nomination. And that's how most of the people who you know aspire to be on the court and get nominated, but then don't end up on That's how it happens, right? So the more that, that Biden can downplay it, the less there is material to work with. So even if he had the best possible candidate in the entire world, which seems like he does to me, uh, he... I would probably advise him if I were on his staff, I would say, yeah, yeah, bury it for sure. Friday night. Yeah. Don't talk about it. Yeah. Bombs are falling in Ukraine that, no problem at all. We're not going to put this off. Who cares? If people are distracted, that can only work in our favor because we will get into the nomination process and the hearings, the confirmation hearings, uh, and and they will basically ask whatever questions they want to ask and she will answer in a nice, calm, neutral, normal way. She won't start screaming about how much she likes beer. There won't be a great controversy (laughs) about it, and we'll just get it done.
0: And she's not changing the ideological makeup of the court. She's 51,
1: so she's got three more decades
0: as opposed to three more years, roughly, for for Justice Breyer, who I guess is in his but let me ask you this. What about the affirmative action issue that Ted Cruz Cruz is beating oh, the drum on? Disgusting. Uh, I wonder how he expects to get any traction because Ronald Reagan said in 1980 when he was running against Jimmy Carter for the presidency, I will nominate a woman to the U.S. Supreme Court if I am elected. Yeah. Now, Joe Biden says, I will. He said it on the debate stage yeah. in South Carolina yeah. before the primary in 2020. He said, I will nominate a black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, it's not, you don't have to be Einstein to, to draw the, see connection the distinction there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. between the two, yeah. the woman and the black woman. Doesn't the Ted Cruz approach and he says, it's affirmative action. You're excluding 94% of the population.
1: Uh, isn't, isn't that just automatic bad news for the Republicans to push that narrative? Yeah. I, I don't know that it is uh, an effective tack. I mean. Obviously, it's a crafted, focused, grouped line, right? Like the Republicans are not, they're even better at the Democrats than sort of thinking about their messaging. The Democrats think that being right is enough. Uh, it's not. They have to think about their messaging. They have to think about how they are, are portraying themselves and, and, and what they're telling the public. And the Republicans, uh, like Ted Cruz, who are saying things like, "Oh, you're excluding too much of the population uh, by uh, you know choosing specifically a black woman," um, they're you know Senate using a very practiced anti-affirmative action political line where they. Portray uh, uh, they portray the the person who is is selecting a black woman in this case as um, uh, failing to take into account all the possible jurists uh, from which he could pull and saying that uh, therefore he's excluding the best jurist, which of course it builds into it the underlying assumption that the best jurist can't be in this subgroup. Right. right? The idea that well, if you have 100 percent of possible jurists and there are 94 uh, percent of them. Uh, who are uh, are not black women. By the way, if you look at uh, not just the population, it's like 12% black people in America, right? 6 per, 6% uh, women, right. black women in America. Mm-hmm. That's where the 94% number comes from. If you look at the bench, especially the federal bench, I'll tell you what, there's a lot fewer black women than 6% on that. So it's a real small subgroup. And Biden has a really per- powerful persuasive argument that he's trying to make the bench, especially the highest court in the land, look more like America. And that's a really good argument you want to pull from all of America and if you haven't pulled uh, any black women yet uh, for I don't know systemic racism reasons then you you should now in order to make sure that the Supreme Court has those differing perspectives and Trump, uh, uh, sorry I said Trump when I I, I meant uh, Cruz that's just, just just so interchangeable I can't imagine Freudian how I made slip. That mistake yeah afraid um but you know he's he's uh, of he's Ignoring the possibility that having diverse perspectives on the Supreme Court makes that Supreme Court a better uh, governing body, a better you know, it'd be, it's the same as having you know a diverse members of Congress. Obviously, it makes them allows them to make better decisions as a result of the sum of their parts. We are all you know uh, all the groups that make decisions are better than the sum of their parts because they have diverse perspectives in them. Let's talk about why uh, Biden may have
0: picked her. Um, yeah. We know that there were three candidates: Leandra Kruger, who's on the U.S. Supreme, I'm sorry, the California Supreme. Court. And Justice Kruger uh, has quite a pedigree in the sense that she was with the Solicitor General's office. They argue cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. She argued like a dozen cases before the High Court in Washington, D.C., before going on the California Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. He passed her by.
1: And the California Supreme Court for a long time was kind of a springboard to, you know, bigger and better things. It wasn't like a dead end job for sure. Very, very prestigious spot. So who else
0: did he pass over? Well he passed over Judge Childs, who is a trial court federal judge in South Carolina, pushed very hard by Jim Clyburn, Mm -hmm. the congressman in South Carolina, who basically allowed uh, Biden to win because Mm -hmm. Biden, you remember, was on the ropes. Yeah. They were counting him out. Yeah. And all of a sudden, uh, Clyburn delivers to the South Carolina primary. Right. That's that's where the debate was, where Biden promised, I'm going to appoint a black woman. Mm -hmm. So
1: he did not make Clyburn very happy. Uh, And that's a logical thing, to logical progression uh, to go with, you know, the a person from the state uh, that, that won him the presidency, you know, that would be sort of the political favor that you'd hand out. The other thing,
0: though, that to take into consideration is I'm,
1: I'm guessing this was a factor. There's not
0: much of a paper trail for Judge Jackson. Now, she was on the federal trial court bench for about six or seven years. Uh, and during that time, of course, she wrote hundreds of opinions. But other than the one where she blasted Trump and said presidents are not kings. Right. In an 118 page decision that, that I'm sure delighted Biden and his advisors. Yeah. Other than that, um, you know, there aren't a lot of cases that stand up. Out. You know, weirdly, she again on the trial court sentenced a man to four years in prison after he fired fired a rifle inside a DC pizzeria because this this maniac believed in Pizzagate. He thought Hillary Clinton oh, was operating God. a pedophile ring out of you know the I back office. Yeah, no of, she was the judge for yeah, that. Yeah, she was the wow. judge for that. So that's trial court. Now she's only been on the appeals court right in DC for a year or so. Yeah. Now this DC very court, few
1: decisions. This DC Circuit Court. This is really the farm team. For Supreme Court justices, if you want to know where Supreme Court justices right. are born, they uh, this is the supernova, the heart of of, of where these stars come from. Uh, the D.C. Circuit Court is absolutely the heaviest hitters. Uh, this is the the place you want to go. So it makes total sense. But but. People don't usually uh, languish on that D.C. Uh, circuit Court. I don't have the numbers in front of me to see how long they would last, but often it's a quick acceleration. This is It's not an uncommon thing to see somebody say, well, I think this person should be next. They get bumped up to the D.C. Circuit, and then quickly they get bumped up and out of the D.C. Circuit. Right. Um, now, I don't remember a- where Amy Coney Barrett came through. Did she come through the D.C. Circuit as well? She was on the, a, a Circuit Court of Appeals. I don't remember not which circuit, circuit it was. Yeah, she had this incredibly brief tenure where she was clearly vetted as a potential uh, Supreme Court uh, nom. And then she got, and it was all this, you know, normal sort of progression. And Katanji Brown Jackson had this, a similar sort of progression where people thought, you know, she'd be an an amazing candidate. We should definitely, you know, uh, get her in the direction of the D.C. Circuit. The fact that she ends up on the D.C. Circuit is not an accident, right? This is that she's been on the farm team uh, for a while uh, getting ready. And now, you know, it seems like now's the moment. One thing
0: in her favor is she's already been approved by the United States Senate three times. She was appointed to the sentencing. Commission, Federal Sentencing Commission, Senate had to approve. Then there was the federal trial court experience we've talked about, Senate voted for. Her. And then last year, when she got elevated to the DC Circuit Court of Appeals, the Senate voted for her 53 to 44. Mm-hmm. And I think that Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and Murkowski of uh, of Alaska and Collins of Maine, three Republicans voted for yep. her, and yep. so it's going to be
1: it's going to have common. some explaining to do yeah, with, if the Republicans don't support her now. Yeah, after all of those, not that votes. I'd put it past them, but yes, absolutely. I, she had a, the, the big case that uh, that you mentioned. I, I believe it was in this case, uh, the one that has Trump in the, the the caption, the as they say in the in the line, American Federal Federation of Government Employees AFL CIO versus Trump in 2018. So Jackson invalidated three. Part of three executive orders by Trump that would have uh, it have to do with federal labor employee labor union officials and how much time that those labor union officials could spend with union members. The government was saying, oh, the labor union officials can't spend so much time with the federal employee union members and how they can bargain over negotiations uh, and the, the rights of, of workers to appeal if they're uh, disciplined. And Jackson said this the executive order by Trump violates the rights of these federal employees who have a right to collectively bargain under this uh, Federal Service Labor Management Relations Act, where they say, you know, you have you have certain rights to collectively bargain. If you're an employee of the federal government, we're going to protect you. Um, And she said, yeah, Trump's executive orders violate that law. So we got to you know, I have the right to dump this out. That goes up on appeal. And the D.C. Circuit who now she's on, D- on the DC Circuit, but then in 2018 she wasn't. But now the people she's now working with as coworkers on the DC Circuit reversed her. They said, you yeah, don't have the right unanimous to do decision, unanimous decision. You don't have the right to do it. It was not a you don't have the jurisdictional right to do this. Now, they didn't on substance say Trump's executive order was OK. They didn't disagree with her on that. They just said, eh, you're not the right court to be able to make this decision. This is, you know, basically, uh, as often comes up in these federal issues, is a federal question, sort of a, 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 a sorry, a, a, a political question, uh, sort of a thing that where, where Trump is, you know, has made this executive order and you can't overturn it because you're not the right person. Uh, person with the right amount and type of power but you know, they still reversed her. Yep. Um, and so this is, you know, a kind of that's going to be, I think, the subject of, of her uh, confirmation hearing. I think that case is going to be the centerpiece. That's right. going to be the crown jewel of her opposition, where people are going to be uh, the people who oppose her are going to be saying, look, you're political. You don't like Trump. Yeah, you tried well, to shoot out his executive If that's the crown jewel, orders.
0: then it's going to be costume jewelry. That, that ain't going <laughs> to keep her off the court. Not enough? Uh, you mentioned big decision. Yeah. And here's a fun fact. Among the biggest of the decisions biggest. that were likely to get out of the U.S. Supreme Court in the next year. Mm-hmm. Has to do with affirmative action because you know uh, some folks have sued Harvard uh, and uh, I think the University of North Carolina maybe as well. Yeah. And Her, uh,
1: that's uh, that's uh, Judge Jackson's uh, alum. Uh- Is Harvard. And that's where I'm headed
0: with. She is currently on the board of overseers, whatever that is, at Harvard. Yeah. So she's directly involved with Harvard. It's possible she will have to recuse herself from the big affirmative action decision, which, of course, gets us back to the Ginny and Clarence show that we talked about earlier. This, you know, this isn't a spouse. This is the actual. So we'll
1: see what happens. Yeah, it's a question. of. I mean, I'm sure when she takes uh, the bench, if she's nominated and confirmed, she'd probably step back from a lot of that stuff. But if the lawsuit deals with issues that arose while she was on the board at Harvard, then she the fact that she later stepped back from that job doesn't mean that she uh, might not want to recuse herself from it again, though. So it's then the when affirmative majority, action
0: loses uh, by yeah. one
1: vote. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. You just killed yeah. affirmative action. Exactly. But in the end, is it going to lose by one vote? Six three uh, is going to be the final uh, count. And okay, maybe left. it'll be 6-2. Who cares? Hey, when we come back, what do Ukraine and COVID have in common?
0: We'll answer that question. Stick with us. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy Oaks. And I'm Connor. Oaks. So, what do you think, Connor? Uh, does, it, does it sound like Ukraine and COVID have much in common? Uh, one wouldn't think so, but here's my take, okay. and I'm interested in yours. In both cases, science should dictate a position, whether it's political science or medical science. You should make your call on how you feel about Ukraine and how you feel about COVID. Not how your favorite politician feels. It's like COVID because you got to make a medical decision, not a political one. I cannot believe people who decide against a vaccine because, you know, their favorite politician says vaccine sucker because Robert Kennedy Jr. has written some uh, crazy book. Yeah. When it comes to Ukraine, I don't think we should be taking sides because, oh, my hero Donald Trump likes Putin, so I'm going to side with Russia. Or my hero Hillary Clinton hates Putin, so I'm going to be on the side of Ukraine. I mean, how about making an international relations decision, not a
1: politically biased decision? And yet it seems like a lot of people are reacting that way. Yeah, I think it's human nature. I think that these issues are so complicated that most people are unable to get their heads around this sort of thing without putting so much effort into it that it becomes you know overwhelming and and they they really have staked themselves uh, by by you know trying to research such a complicated issue they really become uh, you know super, uh, invested in one side or another. They're worried about being proven wrong. If they take a position that's really nuanced and complicated, then somebody undermines it and they put all this thought and effort into it. No, oh, no, now my, you know, 100 hours that I spent get, having an opinion on this falls apart and I wasted it all and I look like an idiot. It's so much easier to say, well, isn't the Democratic Party's position X, Y, Z? Shouldn't I just do that? Right. Isn't Trump's, uh no, well, not tweets anymore, but didn't, didn't Trump say this and therefore I would just agree with that? It's so much easier for people. And I get it. Like we have politicians in a republic instead of a direct democracy where we all vote on what we should do in Ukraine for a reason. We can't. We're all busy. We got jobs. You know, I can't be deciding everything every moment of the day. I need to elect a smart, capable politician. who will make good decisions that benefit me and everybody else in this country. And then I get to throw my hands up and say, look, you guys figure it out, right? Uh, Russia is invading its sovereign neighbor, neighbor who's been an independent state since 1991. And now 31 years later, they're just You know, sending troops in on the thinnest of pretenses and excuses uh, to try to say, you know, why they should be allowed to start killing Ukrainians uh, and changing the the form of government in Ukraine, changing the borders of Ukraine, probably absorbing Ukraine into uh, into Russia, trying to reestablish the USSR. Basically, Putin's, you know, longest and fervent, most fervently held dream of reestablishing the USSR. Sure. All of that sounds really, really, really bad. But we need smart people like, you know, our politicians, the Joe Bidens and his administrations, our senators that we uh, we elect and trust to make the right call on this for us. And so, yeah, I, I get why people don't want to try to delve into this. I mean, what what are you supposed to do when when somebody comes to you and says um, Yeah, well, this is a really complicated issue. Uh, There are Ukrainians, uh, there are many Ukrainians in these breakaway regions in Luhansk uh, and Donetsk, and and they uh, identify as Russian and a lot of them speak Russian and they have uh, relatives across the Russian border and they're members of militias that would like there to be uh, Russian political control in these areas. And other people say, well, actually, a lot of that is propaganda that they've they've swallowed uh, or that that they're they're astroturfing uh, campaigns by Russian uh, propaganda artists and puppet masters that have failed. This And so we think there's support uh, for these breakaway regions. We don't actually know that. And other people say, well, well we know that uh, Putin's actions in Crimea in 2014, where he took that territory were bad. Mm-hmm. And we look back on that and we say, you know, obviously, uh, we, the international community, uh, you know, did something about it, but should they have done more? I mean, it's a really complicated issue. Now, it might look black and white and we might all look at our neighbors and be like, why aren't you, you know, flying the Ukrainian flag and, and shouting from the rooftops and having your own opinions and, you know, knowing everything about every single issue. But like, holy crap, sometimes you need a Joe Biden to come on TV and say, look, folks, this is what we're going to do here, yeah, it's and this just, is the right thing. to it's do. It's discouraging that, that people
0: are letting their political instincts guide. True, them. For true. example, uh, let, let's uh, look at what Trump said. The day oh. before Russia invaded Ukraine, Trump called the Putin's wartime strategy pretty smart and called him savvy. Now, on the other hand, Bernie Sanders, uh, who honeymooned in uh, Moscow, by the way, sure. he said, oh, well, you know, NATO's been encroaching. And NATO's being pretty pushy against Russia. So I, I kind of understand where he's coming coming from there. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, there was there's a conservative podcaster uh, this week, a, a guy named Altman. He said, I'd stand on the side of Russia right now. Ugh. Steve Bannon, the former advisor to Trump, praised Putin as anti-woke. And he said, the Ukrainian conflict is not our fight. So it's just really discouraging to see yeah. these political instincts uh, governing everybody's attitudes. What's really
1: most amazing to me is Zelensky himself. That this guy, he's been getting Former a lot of- Former comedian. Yeah, a lot of press coverage. He was a comedian- Worldwide hero. Who acted in- Refuses a, to cut and run, yeah. go to Paris or something. Yeah. He's staying right. at personal risk to himself. He's a comedian who played the president of Ukraine in a comedy show or movie or whatever it was, and on the basis of that ran for president, the president kind of as a PR stunt, and- he was so much better than the other candidates uh, that he ended up winning anyway. However, that ended up happening. This was only a couple of years ago. Well, I think we he should, should make the star of West Wing, uh, the president of the United <laughs> yeah, States. Yeah, uh, Martin Sheen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, he did a great job in that show. <laughs> the, 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 the difference in, you know, he's a comedian uh, on this Ukrainian comedy show. And then a couple of years later, he's got he's got to make these speeches from the street outside, you know, the president's uh, office with Russia encroaching on all sides and him saying, my, I am I am public enemy number one. They will kill me when they find me. They will kill my family when they find mm-hmm. them. But I am not leaving. We are not evacuating. This is my country and we'll fight to the death. I mean, oh, my God, the, the, the difference that a year makes a two years make. Like, it, it, it's incredible, but it, it speaks to the sort of I think the 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 potential for uh, greatness in, in in ordinary people. I think that uh, this is sort of the the joy of of, du- of democracy, the the notion that these random individuals um, uh, can can step up in this way. And and part of it, I think, is is you know why is Zelensky so. Uh, engaged? Why is he so uh, committed? Why is he so responsive to what people want to hear uh, in this crisis moment? Now, there are criticisms of him before, from before this, apparently. But, you know, these are his uh, politics. Is, that's how it works. Not everybody likes every politician. His, his approval ratings were actually quite low before this uh, crisis happened. Uh, but why is he so responsive? Well, maybe it is because he's a regular guy. Maybe it is because he's not a politician Mm -hmm. born and bred. And, you know, uh, far be it for me to be ageist, but maybe it is because he's 44 years old. Maybe it's because he's not had a career of 50 years where he's become inured to all this and uh, hardened to it and, you know, is is sort of calcified in his ways. He's brand new to the scene. He's only 44 years old. He doesn't know what the heck he's Mm -hmm. doing. And he just sort of acts on instinct and makes what he thinks is the right decision. And he's been doing pretty well so far. I think the latest development uh, so we're going to see is he actually said uh, to to Russia's request for uh, a discussion, uh, a negotiation, I'm not going to Belarus for that. Belarus is a a neighbor. um, There's a border with Belarus and Ukraine. And Belarus has been a staging point for Russian troops and launching now Launching missiles from Belarus into Ukraine. And so he said, I'm not going into a country uh, where How about going to Geneva. Yeah, you have been, you know, uh, used as a staging point by the Russians. You're one of the Russians few allies at this point. Even China seems to be breaking with them. Um, and I'm not going to go there. And, and you know, basically uh, symbolically already be walking into enemy territory. So the, the new agreement appears to be that they are going to speak uh, near the Belarusian border, but on the Ukrainian side so they're going to have these negotiations in Ukraine. I the interestingly something that has come out of the west several western countries the UK and the US both. Mm-hmm. Biden specifically said no negotiations yet. Zelensky should should say we're not going to negotiate with the Russians until the Russians stop military activity in Ukrainian borders because the notion of diplomacy at the barrel of a gun isn't diplomacy if somebody puts a gun to your head and says let's negotiate you can't negotiate what do you obviously what is what is what is Zelensky going to say you continue killing Ukrainian civilians if uh, if I don't give you exactly what you want it's not going to work now I, other people will say you got to negotiate in stressful situations and it's all a spectrum I get it but the UK and the US both both allies of Zelensky are saying, eh, "Don't do this negotiation thing yet." I think Zelensky uh, is is knows that he's in a tenuous situation where, while Russia is not obviously their 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 military operations have been frankly embarrassing to the Russians, that it, has, it was not as quick and and uh, bloodless and and uh, overwhelming an invasion as they wanted it to be. That the the Russians could still you know really do a ton of damage. They're not killing a bunch of Ukrainians uh, with long range missiles, for example, while they're sort of under siege here and can't do the same to the Russians, can't defend themselves. They're not doing that because they know they'd get condemnation on the international stage. And so Zelensky's saying, well, since there's worse possibilities out there, I got to do my best and do everything I can to avoid it. So I got to go talk. I've read that one of his probably non-negotiable demands, Zelensky's, is
0: that the UK is no longer going to be United Kingdom. It's just going to be Ukraine
1: that that's that's now zelensky's annexing the ukraine that's de- i mean the uk oh point. no
0: i just hope they can agree on the shape of the uh table. The conference table because <laughs> you remember in vietnam the paris peace talks were oh, yeah? set up to to resolve it and yeah the, for for months they couldn't start the talks because nobody could agree on the shape of the, the table the shape of the table because the shape reflected the fact that uh, certain parties were there like the National Liberation Front the Viet Cong in the sou- in South yeah. Vietnam yeah. and the Americans you know didn't want the South Vietnamese didn't want uh, certain entities uh, at the table we so.
1: all know how bad sitting is we should have a standing yeah. Standing, A guess- Stand, well, exactly. walk and talk like on the West Wing. They just walk down the hallway and talk all the time.
0: <laughs> so our third and final uh, topic here on Too Many Lawyers, are you ready for one more Supreme Court gay rights case? Yeah. It's, it's a coming. Uh, we've seen the wedding cake decision and that was an, an interesting one. You remember Connor, it wasn't like the uh, U.S. Supreme Court who ruled for the baker, the Christian right. baker who didn't want to make a, a cake for a gay wedding. It wasn't like they said, absolutely, any time uh, a, a retail outlet doesn't want to serve a gay person, that's okay. That's their right yeah. if it's a religious yeah. issue. That would be a extreme position. They didn't go that far. What they did, the high court actually criticized the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. The U.S. Supreme Court said that that commission was not fair and objective. There was evidence that they headed in for the baker and favored the gay couple. And that was the basis for allowing the gay baker, the, the baker
1: uh, of the non-gay uh, cake to win. So yeah, now... This was th- sort of a nuanced one-level yeah. removed opinion Opinion, but it got held up as the oh, the Baker wins sort of a case.
0: So here's the new case. It's by coincidence out of Colorado again. The uh, the person who's unhappy with uh, the idea of helping gay um, folks who are getting married is a conservative Christian woman who designs websites. And the Colorado Civil Rights Law requires businesses to be open to everybody regardless of sexual orientation. She refused a gay couple based on her religion. She thinks it's immoral. She lost at the trial court. She lost at the 10th circuit and now the U.S. Supreme Court has just taken it up and, uh, you know, we'll have an oral argument in months and after the briefing and then a decision. I guess the question it poses is, is a website enough like a cake or a painting, personal artistic uh, input? Or is it like, you remember the soup Nazi on Seinfeld? I don't think anybody could get away with saying, oh, well, I have a religious objection to gay people, so I'm not going to serve them soup. Uh, But the courts are receptive to a more personal, you know, you're asked to draw a portrait of a gay couple holding hands and you have this this unchangeable objection to gay marriage. Courts are generally going to say, "Okay, you don't have to paint the painting. Where do you think a a website designer falls on this on this continuum of of artistic versus just sort of
1: automatic functions? Yeah, this is it's. In my mind, not a tough case, because I think the website designer or the wedding website designer, which is she, she currently does website design, but she claims she wants to move into wedding websites. And she claims that when she moves into wedding websites, she's going to put on her site a post that says, I will not be doing gay wedding websites. This woman is absolutely part of a political, a conservative, political, fundamentalist Christian, uh, you know political movement to push this case up through the courts to get it in front of SCOTUS to score a big win in the culture war. They want to drum up, talk about how they're winning the culture war. They want to talk about, you know, how Christians are taking back their rights and blah, blah, blah. And the, the liberals are going to get painted as the bad guys who want to tell you and control your free speech and control your life and tell you what you can and can't do. In reality, this woman is not actually probably ever going to make uh, a wedding websites. But but whatever. That's just Connor's speculation based on, you know, decades uh, of the conservative uh, political movement in this country doing exactly this and the liberals on the other side, the ACLU and the rest. They also find perfect plaintiffs, craft uh, perfect scenarios and then push somebody forward. But in reality, it's very clear cut. It's very cut and dry. You just because you serve somebody soup does not mean that you endorse their political views or lifestyle or anything else. So if you endorse somebody by, you know, serving them soup or building them a website or catering their wedding or whatever else, if you put yourself out there and you want to make yourself available to the public to be hired, um, you've got to, uh, to do this sort of thing because uh, this is a, a protected class that you're not allowed to discriminate based on, which is to say sexuality and uh, and, and and, you know. The right to get married, So you're right? saying
0: that it's a no-brainer
1: that, it is the, a no-brainer. that yeah. the website designer very...
0: should lose. Let's remember, though, that the United States Supreme Court, at least four justices, yeah. voted to take this case up, even though the website designer
1: lost. Yeah, when I say no-brainer, I'm talking about oh, no, those no, 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 justices. No, no, don't go there. Don't, no, don't bra- go there, j- girl Clarence fan. Thomas, to bring it back, no-brainer. Okay, sorry, go on. I, you
0: know, uh, it's time to play. Guess the verdict. Ooh, are America's you, are you game psyched show. up for this? Always. I give the facts of a real live case to Connor. He tries to guess the outcome. My right, lawyer bona fides. Here we go. Here's the ready. case. Ready, ready, ready. Two Richland County, Ohio prison inmates have sued General Foods. Prison inmates. Wow. Okay. For failing to put warning labels on coffee. Mm. The complaint states, "We have been using Maxwell House instant coffee for sure. long periods of time. Upon trying to discontinue said product," We have suffered painful withdrawal symptoms. That's the lawsuit by a couple of guys who uh, are <coughs> incarcerated. Sure. Uh, what's your guess? Who do you think won? Uh, I can empathize
1: battle? with these dudes yeah. because I'll tell you, if there's, I don't get my you, coffee, you've done time in prison. I was <laughs> not aware of that. Uh, what do you think? I got these tats. I, I
0: know that summer camp you went off to one summer, but yeah. uh,
1: was it really prison? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I got a teardrop for a reason. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, look, the the. Uh, <laughs> if you want to take a- all the time you want this is very important because you're going to get a bell <laughs> I am like oh, that man, if I you're want right. that bell. I want okay. that bell okay so these guys are saying that this product is dangerous there are this is what's called a tort. In uh, in in the law. You'll learn about it. I First like a tort with my coffee delicious. sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's, you know. it, it's some of the jelly and such. So, uh, it, it's specifically, the subgroup of torts called products liability it has nothing to do with the fact that they're in prison. They're just saying uh, that, but it just it, makes it, it more interesting. It is, does make it more interesting. They're saying that your product. Um, uh, harms us because it has. we have withdrawal symptoms when we stop using it. So in the same way that if you get addicted to a substance like nicotine or alcohol or whatever, you might have physical withdrawal symptoms. And the severity of those symptoms is not really actually the issue in this case. Like even if they just have like a minor headache, or, you know, some some light sensitivity or whatever other things mm-hmm. that I have when I don't drink enough coffee. I'm oh, irritable. No, there's no light. They're in the hole. That's true. Absolutely. The, the irritability issue, like these, the fact that the damages are minor doesn't actually factor into it. So a lot of people would look at this and go like, oh, look at this loss is BS because they're, they're I barely even hurt. A minor harm can still be cognizable, legal, recognizable harm. And you can get paid for it in the uh, court of law uh, under this theory of torts. The issue is really whether... There is, as uh, my uh, torts professor, Jody Armour, would would tell you at uh, USC uh, a couple of year, years and years back, and now it's only like six years back. Well, actually, it's more like nine years back. Um, the He'd tell you it's about whether there's a, a reasonable alternative design for a product that you could have that still accomplishes the goals and like does decaf? what you Yeah. But does that get you caffeinated? Right. The the example that that I remember Jody Armour giving me uh, in uh, one of our first uh, lessons on the topic, he said, you know, it's like a jet ski. You make a jet ski uh, that's fast and exciting and has a huge engine and it's loud and it sprays water everywhere. Somebody could get hurt. Somebody goes into court and says, I got hurt on your jet ski. You need to change the design of the jet ski. And here's the alternative design. It's going to be slower. It's going to be heavier. It's not going to spray water. Nobody's going to fall off of it. Nobody's going to hit a boat. It's going to be very safe. And all the customers in the jet ski company, oh, you know, go, that's not a jet ski. That's a dinghy. It's boring. I don't want to ride it. No one's going to buy it. So you can't change coffee to be decaf right. without it becoming really a different product. It's a dinghy now. It's decaf coffee. It's totally different. Yep. And so I think these guys uh uh since they didn't bring in an expert like an engineer a chemical engineer to say couldn't uh, afford him yeah exactly uh you can design coffee that doesn't give you any withdrawal symptoms but still gets you caffeinated uh they lose
0: before i tell you whether you were right (gasps) or not i'm going to tell you a story about my law school experience that i thought of because of the one that you just uh, told so uh, the very first day at uh, ucla law school back in the 70s this is the 1870s right (laughs) Uh, I was in criminal law. I was being taught by the dean of the school, Ooh, Murray Schwartz, damn. who had uh, clerked for the chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court in the 1950s. Whoa. And he asked a question to the group. And we're all you know, scared to death. Oh, yeah. We know anything. Quaking. Yeah. First year. One guy raised his hand. Dan Schechter is his name. Now, mm. Dan is a brilliant guy. Super nice person. Went on to be a professor of bankruptcy, a great legal career. But wow. on that day, everybody in class hated Dan's oh, guts. No. And here's why the question was posed by the professor and only dan raises his hand and he says professor does the word cyanter suggest itself here no oh. well cyanter means evil intent
1: and yeah, nobody yeah, yeah, knew yeah. that yeah, because yeah, yeah. we hadn't read the first books years, yet. Yeah.
0: but dan knew oh it. dan knew and we all looked at dan and thought this daggers same i hate you dan
1: you know what i've got for you to dan cyanter that's what i've got <laughs> very good evil that's intent right. well the good news is connor you got it right you get yes! the bell.
0: The lawsuit by the two prison inmates claiming I was so worried. coffee uh, gave them withdrawal I lost symptoms. Last
1: week, I didn't want to get a streak yeah. going. You You're know, you've got to stop the streets. You're back. By the
0: way, they wanted $20,000 in damages, <laughs> and they ended up getting absolutely zero. Oh, bummer. Well, this has been a fun show. Uh, yeah. It's t- sort of taken our mind off of the war yeah, in Europe. A little bit. Uh, hopefully, uh, next week, with the next episode, uh, it'll be resolved. They'll have decided on the shape of the... Uh, conference table yeah, the conference table and everything will be fine we hope you have a good safe week out there see you next time on too many lawyers